new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. If we went around Chippenham and the area and asked people the simple question, what is a Christian? We would get a variety of different answers. Some would think that anyone born in Great Britain is bound to be a Christian. Just as someone born in Thailand is likely to be a Buddhist, someone born in India is likely to be a Hindu, so anyone born in the British Isles must be a Christian, so they think. Others have the idea that if our parents were Christians, that automatically makes us Christians. That is a kind of hereditary title passed on from mother and father to children. There are those who think that if you were taken to church as a baby and had a little water sprinkled on you, that made you a child of God and a Christian. Others believe that anyone who lives a decent sort of life, trying to do the best they can, is bound to be a Christian and on the way to heaven. Terrible confusion about this whole matter. What is a Christian? There are those who think, well, the whole thing is nonsense. There's no such thing as really a Christian, really. It makes no difference whatsoever. This terrible confusion. And it's very serious. We can't afford to be confused about this. According to the Bible, only a true Christian is forgiven. According to the Bible, only a true Christian can approach God. Only a true Christian can escape hell. Only a true Christian can ultimately arrive in heaven. So it's a serious matter. We can't afford to be confused. And when there's um, a problem like that, the best thing to do is to go to the original leaders of the Christian church, the writers of the New Testament, these men who were inspired of God to write down the New Testament. If your washing machine breaks down, you don't immediately throw it away. You get out the handbook and read up about the washing machine. It may have been that you've been doing something wrong with the washing machine and it stopped working. So you read the handbook. And if you're in the muddle about what is a Christian, the best thing to do is to read the handbook, the Bible, the Word of God. So let me um, give this wonderful description of a Christian in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, if anyone is a Christian, he is a new creation. All things have gone. Everything is new. A Christian is a person who has undergone a radical change. Let me give you the background to the statement. Some of the people in Corinth were rather critical of the Apostle Paul. There had been a lot of trouble in the church, even in morality. And Paul had planned to visit them, but because of this trouble in the church, this immorality, he decided to postpone his visit and instead write them a rather stern letter. And some of the Corinthians were up in arms about that. They said the Apostle Paul was an unreliable man. He promised he'd visit them, and he hadn't done so. Paul replies to that in chapters 1 and 2 of this letter. Then there were others in Corinth who said that the Apostle Paul must be mad. 
to go around preaching the gospel, going to all these difficult countries, facing danger, the man must be mad to do that. And Paul replies to that here in this fifth chapter. He says in verse 13, if we're out of our minds, if we're beside ourselves, if we're mad as you think we are, it's for God's sake. It's for God's sake that we're doing this gospel work. That's why we take risks. That's why we face hardship. And he said the thing that constrains us to do that is not that we're mad. It is because the love of Christ compels us. And it's in this context that Paul says, well, a Christian should be compelled to do things uh, out of love for Christ because he's the new creation. Entirely new. What then is new about a Christian? He's got the same color eyes. He or she has got more or less the same build. More or less the same abilities, the same qualifications. So what is new about a Christian? Let me give you some ways in which the Christian is a new creation. All of them mentioned in this passage. First of all, the Christian has a new opinion of self. A new opinion of self. Before he or she became a Christian, they thought they were rather good people. Thought they were rather splendid people. If they believed in God at all, they believed that God was rather pleased with them. And that when the time came for them to die, they would be welcomed into heaven, the door thrown open, no problem whatsoever. And Paul used to think like that. He was a proud, self-righteous Pharisee. And he thought he was rather good in the sight of Almighty God. But now that he's a Christian, he no longer thinks like that. He says he used to think himself in a worldly way, after the man of the world, that he was a good man. But now he's got a new opinion of himself. And that is true of every Christian. We now realize that we're not that good in the sight of God. We now realize that we are sinners by nature and we're sinners by practice. There's been a change in our opinion of ourselves. Well, is that true of you, my friend? Have you got rid of that old conceited opinion of yourself that you were rather wonderful and that you deserved a place in heaven and that God would throw open the door and welcome you in, no questions asked? Have you come to see that you're a sinner by nature in the sight of Almighty God? Secondly, the Christian has a new attitude to the Lord Jesus Christ. Before he or she became a Christian, they had a very wrong opinion of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had no time for him. Or they ignored him. Maybe they dismissed him as a fake, a fraud. That's how this man Paul thought of Christ before he became a Christian. That's what he's talking about here in verse 16. He says, where we once regarded Christ according to the world. We once had a worldly view of the Lord Jesus Christ. He means, before I became a Christian, I regarded Christ as the world regards him. 
as just another religious leader. Or maybe a fake even. I had a worldly view of the Lord Jesus Christ. I dismissed him. Thought he was a fraud. Had this worldly view of Christ. But now, he says, I no longer think of Christ in that way. And the Christian is a person who has a new opinion, a new attitude to the Lord Jesus Christ. We now realize that he's not just an ordinary man. He's not just another religious leader. He is the Son of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. That he left heaven. He'd shared the glory of heaven with God the Father. But he left heaven, became a man. Without ceasing to be the Son of God, he became a man. Took a human body, human nature. Came to this world. Died upon the cross to bear the punishment of sin that we might be forgiven. Paul puts it like this in verse 14. He died for all. Not just for Jews, but for Gentiles. Not just for white people, but black people. Not just for English people, but for men and women of all nations. He died for men and women. He died upon the cross to bear the punishment of their sins. He died for all classes. Not just the rich, but the poor. Not just the poor, but the rich. And the Christian, you see, now has a new attitude to the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of dismissing him, just another religious leader, we now recognize he is the Son of God. He is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. We recognize that he's the one and only Savior. That if he doesn't save us, then we're lost forever and forever. That everything depends upon him. And now the Lord Jesus Christ, for us, is the most wonderful person in the whole universe. A new attitude to Christ. I can think of a time before I became a Christian. Some of the curses, some of the blasphemies I uttered I still feel ashamed of that. I still feel awful about that. But now the Lord Jesus Christ is the most wonderful person in the whole universe. Think of a man like John Newton. There he was, captain of a slave trader. Before that, a seafaring man. So debased at one time, he became a slave, more or less, of a woman in Africa living a debased life, cursing the name of the Lord Jesus. But then he becomes a Christian, and he writes to him how sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. Soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, drives away his fear. And many of us would want to say that. This Jesus, whose name we once used as a curse, and that fills us with shame, is now the most glorious person in the universe as far 
as we're concerned. A new opinion of self, a new attitude to Christ. Then following on from that, a Christian is a person who has a new standing before God. What I mean by that is this. Before we became Christians, we stood before God as guilty men and women. The prisoner in the dock at the Old Bailey has been found guilty by the jury. So he now stands before the judge as a guilty man or a guilty woman, waiting to be condemned, sentenced. And that was our standing before God before we became Christians. Pronounced guilty. Standing before God as guilty men and women, waiting to be condemned to hell. But when a person becomes a Christian, that is entirely changed. And we are now standing before God as righteous men and women, no longer guilty, as righteous men and women, destined for heaven. When a person believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, his whole standing before God is changed radically. How does that come about? How does that come about? Well, here's the answer. When the Lord Jesus Christ died upon the cross, he endured the punishment of our sin in our place. God took our sin and imputed it, transferred it, to the account of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ took upon himself all our sin and paid the price for that when he died upon the cross, took the punishment upon himself. Let me put it to you like this. Suppose I'm in terrible debt with my council tax, West Berkshire County Council, I'm all behind with my council tax. They've sent me many reminders. I've refused to pay, can't pay. So they're now threatening me with imprisonment, the non-payment of debt. I'm in terrible trouble with West Berkshire County Council. But one of my elders, Dr. James Cordell, has also got an account with West Berkshire County Council. And he goes to them and says, look, transfer, my friend Basil Howlett has got all that debt outstanding against his name. Transfer that to my account and I'll pay it. That's a picture of what Jesus Christ did for us when he died upon the cross. All our guilt, all our sin was transferred to his account and he paid it when he died upon the cross of Calvary. That gets rid of my guilt before God. But something else happens. When I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, his righteousness is credited to my account. My sin has been transferred to his account and he's paid for it. Now his righteousness, when I trust in him, is transferred to my account. So God looks upon me, upon every Christian, as no longer guilty, but righteous in his sight. 
Let me complete the illustration, my friend, Dr. James Caudle. He not only pays my debts, he goes to the West Berkshire County Council and he says, look, here's a lump sum. Transfer that lump sum to Basil Howard's account. So he'll be in credit for the rest of his life. He'll never have to pay council the tax again. I'll credit my lump sum to him and he'll never have to pay council the tax again. That's a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He's transferred his righteousness to our account so God looks upon us as righteous men and women. Do you see? If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. He's got a new opinion of himself, a new attitude to Christ, and a whole new standing before Almighty God. But more than that, the Christian is a new creation because he has a new relationship with God. Because all our sin has been dealt with, and because the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us, we have a whole new relationship with God. According to verse 18, a Christian is a person who has been reconciled to God. God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Before we became Christians, we were estranged from God. We were separated from God. We were cut off from God. Sometimes you hear about a married couple who have become estranged. The relationship is gone. They're separated. That was our position before we became Christians. When God first created men and women, they had this wonderful relationship with God. God walked with them in the garden in the cool of the day. But then sin came in. And that relationship was broken, smashed. They became estranged from God. That was our position before we became Christians. Separated from God. But when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are reconciled to God. A new relationship has been established. It's such a good relationship that God now says, I regard you as my children, my dearly loved children, and you can call me your father. We have this whole new relationship with God. What a wonderful thing that is. That we who once were dreadful sinners, estranged from God, now have wonderful fellowship with him. That we know God. We know him personally. And we can speak to him. And we can share with him our great burdens and anxieties and cares. And we know that he hears us and listens to us. What else is new? The fifth thing is that a Christian has a new dis destiny. A new destiny. You see, we're all going somewhere. We're all heading for a final destiny beyond this life. This life is not all there is. Death is not the end of everything. The grave is not the end. 
The funeral services is not the finale. The crematorium, not the end. There's something beyond all of that. Verse 10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. There's going to be a great judgment day one day. I don't know when that will be. You don't know when that will be. But God has got it fixed in his diary. The Bible actually says, God has appointed a day. God has appointed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's going to be a great day of judgment. And at the end of that day of judgment, God will announce our eternal destiny. If we're Christians, an eternal destiny in his glorious kingdom. If we're not Christians, an eternal destiny in a place called hell. Sometimes people laugh at hell. A man once said to me, <laughs> when I die, I'll go to hell and have a good time with my friends, my mates. I said to him, you know, the Bible says that hell is a place of darkness. You may never find your friends there. A place of terrible darkness. A bottomless pit. You may never find your friends there. And if you do find your friends there, you'll curse them, forever dragging you down to that place. And they'll curse you, forever dragging them down to that place. Hell is not a place to be laughed about. It's a place totally devoid of God and all that is good. You see, even the worst atheist, even the most vile atheist, experiences something of God's goodness in this world. Even the blatant atheist enjoys beautiful scenery and beautiful music and has friends and family. Even the atheist enjoys something of God's goodness in this world. The Lord causes his rain to fall upon the just and the unjust. But hell is a place entirely devoid of God's goodness. And that's our destiny if we're not Christians. But when we become Christians, our destiny is totally changed. Eternal life in God's glorious kingdom, where everything is perfect, where there's no pain, no suffering, no anguish, no sorrow, no weeping, no crying. Our whole life has been turned around and we have a new destiny. Let me mention one last way, one more new thing enjoyed by the Christian. The Christian has a new set of priorities, a new set 
of priorities. This may not happen instantaneously, the moment we become Christians, but it happens. A new set of priorities. Before we became Christians, our great priority was to live for self, wasn't it? To live for self. Me, my, that was top of the list. Me, my pleasure, my plans, my possessions, my property, my pension, my health, my holiday, my career. That's the kind of life lived by the vast majority of people in this world at the present time. That's why the world is in such a mess. That's why half the world lives in poverty. Because everyone is looking after number one. But when a person becomes a Christian, that changes. Self is pushed off the stage and Christ becomes center stage. You realize that he's such a glorious person. You realize that he loves you, that he died for you to bear the punishment of your sin. You realize that he's forgiven all your sin and saved you from hell and put you on the road to heaven. And that thrills you and grips you and moves you. And you say, I must live for him. I must put him at the center of my life. His love compels me to do that. Listen to what Paul says in verse 14. Christ, Christ's love compels me, compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them, and then rose again. That's our new priority. What a life. To live for Christ, to give him number one slot, to live for him who died for us and rose again, to be what Paul calls an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. Our first new priority is to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's another one which flows out of that first one. And that is to do all in our power to spread the gospel of Christ and to persuade men and women to believe on him. Remember what we said at the beginning that some of these Corinthians were saying that the Apostle Paul must be a madman to do what he did, go around from country to country in great danger preaching the gospel. Must be mad, must be beside himself. But Paul says that is not the case. If we are beside ourselves, that's for God's sake. No, says Paul, we must go on around the world preaching the gospel because the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us. And that is another new priority for the Christian. We feel compelled to make known the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to men and women all around us. So that's the way in which the Christian is a new creation. Those are some 
of the things that makes him a new creation. A new attitude, a new opinion of himself. No longer arrogant, thinking I'm okay, but realizing I'm a poor sinner, saved by grace. A new opinion of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not just another religious leader. He's the glorious Son of God, the one and only Savior, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. New standing before God. No longer guilty and condemned, but righteous in the sight of God. Not because of anything I've done, but because of all that Christ has done for me. A new relationship with God, reconciled to him. Now his child, and he is our father. A new destiny, no longer on the way to hell, but on the way to heaven and eternal glory. And a new set of priorities, to live for him who died for us, and to make him known to this poor lost world. Are you a new creation, my friend? Can you say you've got a new opinion of yourself, a new attitude to Christ? Are you a new creation? If so, well, let's make sure that we live as new creations. Let's make sure that we live as entirely new people. You see, there's a kind of thinking around these days, been around for a long while. It used to be the thinking of modernists and liberals, but now evangelicals sometimes have taken over the idea. The idea is this, that if you want to win the world around you, you've got to be like the world. If you want to win the ungodly, you've got to be like them. So the idea is you go to the same pub and drink the same beer, and you go to the same, same cinema and watch the same smutty films and, and uh, things like that. You live like them in order to show them, you know, just like them, and know how they tick and so forth. But that is not New Testament teaching. In fact, you don't even need the Bible to tell you how wrong that principle is. Just a bit of physics and a bit of a knowledge of magnetism will tell you that. You remember the rule of magnetism that you learned at school? Like poles repel, opposites attract. And so, if you want to win the world around you, live a new life as a new creation. Be different from the world around you. I finish with this because uh, it's, uh, Matthew Syed is the sports journalist, the chief sports journalist of the Times. And uh, Matthew Syed, over the last few years, has written once or twice about his grandfather. His grandfather was Philip Hurd, and Philip Hurd was a member of Cary Baptist Church in Reading, a Welshman through and through, and I knew him when he was in Wales, but he became a member of Cary Baptist Church. Now, Matthew Syed, uh, Monday, about three weeks ago, wrote in the Times about his grandfather. Matthew Syed was an atheist, and he wrote about his wonderful, wonderful grandfather again. 
and said, if anything was ever to impress an atheist like me, it was the godly life that my grandfather lived. And Matthew Side said, as a tribute to my grandfather, who lived such a godly life, on the fourth anniversary of his funeral, I turned on his favorite hymn, Over a Thousand Tongues to Sing, by Charles Wesley. And he said, I listened to that hymn, the words of those verses, and the haunting tune hit me like a steam train. I will never forget my grandfather and the life he lived until the day I die. Now that's a blatant atheist. He just, Philip Heard never went to a pub in his life. He was a miner in Wales, wonderfully converted as a teenager in Minor in Wales, and uh, once he was converted, never went to a pub in his life. After that, never, never saw an ungodly DVD or anything like that. Lived a holy, godly life. And Methuselah said, that's the thing that hit me, made me think. And if anything's going to transform a blatant atheist like me, this was life of my grandfather. So the, the, live as a new creature, my friend. That'll be the thing that'll make an impact upon the world around you. So let's sing now our final hymn. Or the, no, sorry, not our final hymn. We're going to sing this hymn, and then we'll meet around the Lord's table. The hymn is Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me, number 31 in the hymn book.